this is brand new trying to interact with an online audience. I thought one of my go-to phrases is I have a theory, and now what do I do? <laughs> it's just a few folks that are here to help us put this on, so maybe I'll say I have a theory, and then I'll imagine that you, uh, that you responded to me. Are we good to go? We got everything going? I uh, actually was writing a, a, a sermon and actually a series back in 2016. I don't know if you remember 2016. The country was all up in arms and fighting politically and all that. And, and I was, wrote a series called The Darkest Hour, The Finest Hour. And then it kind of seemed to level off and, you know, it seemed like we were going to get along okay. So I thought, well, hmm, maybe I missed that. But uh, this week, as I was thinking about what to preach, it occurred to me, I remembered that sermon that I had prepared uh, a little over three years ago, and I thought, this is the time for this. And so I'd like to share with you a little bit today about what it means for to be the darkest hour, the finest hour. I don't know how much sharing we'll get done, but we'll do our best. Darkest hour, the finest hour. Now, I'd, I'd like to... At the risk of, uh, I don't want you to think that there's anything too much that, about this pandemic that I really am enjoying. <laughs> and um, I think, though, that we can find some things that are not bad at all. And in fact, I made a list of five things I like about this crisis. <laughs> five things I like about this crisis. Now, there's a lot I don't like about it, yes. Five things, and maybe you'll scribble these down and, and, and read these over the next few days. Five things I like about this crisis. Number one, I like that human life is being handled as sacred in our society. If you had told me a month ago that a disease was going to come across this country that had about a 2% mortality rate, and you just said, and everything's pretty much going to shut down. You know, the NCAA tournament's going to be canceled. The baseball season's going to be... All, I just thought, no, they won't do that for 2%. Uh, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars that are, that are uh, being lost. They won't do that for 2%. But to think as a nation, we have said, life is sacred. Human life is sacred. And we're going to do whatever it takes to protect it. Secondly, I like that families are reconnecting. I like that families who are running in a thousand different directions, tagging bases and not even talking to each other very much, <laughs> are, are kind of having to settle in and get to know each other. <clears throat> Someone theorized that in about nine months there would be a baby boom. I sort of suspect that in nine months there may be a lot of manslaughter charges, you know, <laughs> pending. Um, but we are reconnecting with each other as families and as good friends. And over the past several days, I've talked to friends I hadn't literally hadn't talked to in years as we're just tagging base. Are you okay? I like that we are reconnecting. Number three, I like that the political leaders, at least from what I can see, are seem to be calling a ceasefire. 
It's, it's not so nasty. There's not, not so much political fighting. Maybe I'm not watching the right news channel. But it seems to me that things have calmed down a little bit p- politically and, and the nation is getting along across political lines. I like that. And I know sitting there in your living room, you just said, Amen. So I hear that in my mind. Amen. Number four, I like... Now it's getting serious. I like that uh, many spiritual drifters are beginning to refocus on Jesus. There are a lot of people, in my opinion, who know the Lord. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they've been in church for a long time, but stuff has started competing for their attention. And in that competition for their attention, they've been chasing all kinds of things, and Jesus has kind of gotten put off to the side somehow. But I like it that there is a refocus going on and those drifters who may have been approaching the status of prodigal are going, oh my goodness, I better run back and get a hold of Jesus for all I'm worth. I like that. And I like it, number five, I like that many people, I believe, will come to Jesus Christ because of this crisis. I believe that many people will finally understand that we are helpless and we need a God who doesn't know a moment of helplessness. See, everything in me wanted to say amen right there. <laughs> you know, We serve a God that has never had a single moment of helplessness. And I think that people are beginning to see that maybe this Christianity thing is something I should consider. So there's five things... I like about this crisis. A million things we don't like about it. There's five things I like about this crisis. So make a list of that and maybe encourage you over the days ahead. Now, the foundation for this sermon or this series we'll be doing for the maybe next week or two is in the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy, I want to begin... And then we'll back up and talk some. I want to begin in chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says to this young Christian, this young pastor, but mark this, but mark this. In other words, he said, you can absolutely rely on this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, I know that almost everybody takes that to mean at the end of the age, and we can do that as well. There will be terrible times at the end of the age. But there's no doubt in my mind that when Paul said that to Timothy, he, it, P- Timothy heard it like this. Mark my words, Timothy. A little later on, things are going to get tough for you. <laughs> things are going to get really tough for you. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then I underline this next part in my scripture, having a form of godliness. In other words, they have a religion, they have a profession of godliness, but they deny its power, have nothing to do with them. That that particular religion is not going to accomplish anything for you. 
And so he said, there will be very difficult times, Timothy. And do we hear him say today, there could be some tough times. But I want you to know that there is power in your God, so cling to that God and have nothing to do with that powerless religion. Back up a chapter, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So what I'm talking about here is in your darkest hour, it can be your finest hour. And in order for your darkest hour to be your finest hour, you have to know how to correctly handle the word of truth. The word of truth means that I can't promise people things and sign God's name to it. I see all the time people say things like, well, God is faithful, so nothing bad will happen to you. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says whatever happens to you, your God is bigger than whatever's happening to you, and He can take you through it. God didn't say there wouldn't be problems. He said there won't be any problems bigger than me that will come into your life. So He said do your best and try to resist the, the pandemic of bad teaching going on that if you are full of faith, you get an exemption from the problems because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that you get a God who will go through those problems with you and make sure you're okay. And again, my head said, Amen. Maybe you're telepathing that back to me from, from out there somewhere. So I want to give you some really, really important uh, things. And I'm assuming that... Uh, you want the darkest hour to be your finest hour. I know that as a church, I want the darkest hour to be the finest hour. I want, I want the world to say, wow, the church really looked like the church during that time. I mean, the church wasn't a social club. The church wasn't just a hangout. The church was a place where the power of God was revealed to a hurting world. Amen? And when you see these things happening, you see that, God is on the throne and He's doing incredible things for those who are committed to saying, God, I want this dark hour to be your finest hour in my life. So we back up a little bit more in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He said, you then, my son, some of you need to read that, my daughter, <laughs> be strong. If you looked at that in the original language, it doesn't say be strong. It says be empowered. It's a verb. Therefore, my son, be empowered. Be strengthened, be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because you see, when God strengthens us, we can experience our finest hour. But it's, it's not about anything I can do. It's not about anything you can do. It is the power of God that we have been strengthened with that is working through us. And again, amen. <laughs> amen, to, and amen to that. I am tempted to say here, do you know that you can go out into your world, which no, you can't, <laughs> and I would, I'm tempted to say, and I would pray that the very touch of your hand on someone's shoulder, that, that somehow God would be meant, but you can't touch them. So I don't know what to say. Here's what I want to tell you. I had an experience this week for the glory of the Lord, and I... I put out this, this little video. I've been trying to do more of that since a lot of people are homebound and, and minister. And I noticed that a young lady that I hadn't seen in years, and 
I'm not sure, 100% sure about this, but the impression I got is that she's a young lady, she's pregnant, and I think that when she has the baby any day now, she will be a single mom. That's, that was the impression I got from the, the things that she was writing on social media. She talked about all the fear of this moment in her life going, and then I noticed she posted a video that, that I'd put up a few days earlier, and I, I think I said like seven things you need to know in this time of crisis. And, and next to the video, she said, I don't know why, but just hearing this voice made me feel peace. And I thought, Lord, I always I'm praying that the touch, the hug, whatever. But did you know that God can put something in your life that just the sound of your voice ministers to people? Finally, my son, finally, my daughter, be empowered in his grace. So this can be our finest hour when God has empowered us to speak things under the anointing of God that minister to our world. I have three notes for you. We've got to find an efficient way to get the notes to you if you're sitting there at home. So you just have to scribble these down. Uh, hopefully you've got a pencil and paper. Three things about this spiritual empowerment. First of all, we need power that is not naturally present with us. We need power that is not naturally present with us. I don't know the answers, do you? I, I, I can't tell people, this is what you need to do to make sure all your bases are covered. So Paul is writing to a mature believer. He's writing to a young man who is pastoring a church, probably pastoring multiple churches in that culture. He's writing to a man who grew up under a mother and a grandmother who were godly. He's writing to someone, this is not a new believer. He said, finally, my son, be empowered. There is a power you didn't pick up in school. There is a power from God you need. And it is not naturally present with us. And that's why I think that we have to be sure that we are spending time with the Lord, not just for our own self, but for the people that we're ministering to. Secondly, the power we need is in the grace of Christ. You then, my son, be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace implies free. Grace implies giving. There is a reason that I grew up. It was because of the grace of my parents. I grew up. They fed me. They clothed me. They nurtured me. And one day... I wasn't an infant anymore. I was a grown man because I lived and I was nurtured in the grace of their home. You, my child, he says, be nurtured in the grace of God. There, there's so much that God wants to put into the life of his, of his children that will grow them up. That will elevate them and make them strong in the Lord. Amen. 
Number three, to fight spiritual battles, we must have spiritual power. If behind this physical battle there is a spiritual battle, which I believe there is, we have to fight that battle with spiritual power. And that's what we receive through the grace of God, the spiritual power. Now, perhaps there was a time that you can kick it into neutral and kind of coast along and not be revealed. But in dark times, in dark days, it takes the genuine thing. It takes the genuine power of God to elevate us to a place where we can experience our finest hour. So first of all, if we're going to have our finest hour in the darkest hour, we've got to be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Find Him. Seek Him. Grow in Him. Get in His Word. Get in His presence. This next point, I'll admit to you, back in 2016, it didn't seem weird, but it's a little bit awkward today when I say the second thing you have to do is become contagious. <laughs> oh, Lord. When I, when I was looking at these notes, I thought, well, that's kind of inappropriate, you know. But I mean that in a good way, spiritually contagious. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And the things you have heard me say. In the presence of many witness, witnesses, entrust to reliable men and women who will be qualified to teach others. If I could say that if there's anything we need to really step up in the church, and I'm not talking about relevant church, I'm talking about the church of Jesus represented in our country. If there's anything that we need to improve on is that we need to be more spiritually contagious. We don't want someone to work at our side day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and be surprised when they hear we're a believer. Amen. We don't, we want, we don't want that. We want to be sp- spiritually contagious. It would be great if there was a contagion that took over and because you're a believer, someone else becomes a believer. And because they're a believer, then other... And, and so this thing just begins to blow out from us like a contagion, but in a holy and a godly way. There are two identities that we need to accept. Two identities. The first identity is that we are a disciple. We are a disciple. A disciple is another way of saying we are a learner. How's that going? We are a learner. We're becoming more godly. We're becoming more knowledgeable in the Word. We're becoming more founded upon the Word. We are a disciple. You know, I've seen something, and I'll admit to you, reluctantly, that I tend to look at social media with a little bit of a contrary attitude. <laughs> Someone says something, I go, oh, is that really true? You know, I don't know. Someone says, just want to remind you, you're amazing. I go, no, I'm not. Kind of ornery. Right? Wrong. Appreciate my wife didn't shout amen there. But there's a thing going around, and there's some version of it. It says, now that all the churches are closing down, we're beginning to understand that the church was never a building anyway. And I go, 
okay, the church was never a building and is never a building, but don't take that to mean the church was never about relationships. Because in the biblical Christianity, we are at the core of the church where we relate to each other and we connect with one another. And there is no replacing that. We, we can't retreat back to our own little bubble and say, I don't need you guys, because that would mean I don't need to be a disciple anymore. I don't need anybody with the gift of teaching to minister to me. I don't need someone who's walked this path longer than me to, to mentor me. We don't ever want to fall into that trap. For as long as we live on this earth, we will be a disciple. I will need Jesus, and I will need the people of God to teach me how to be a better believer. Amen. Amen. I forgot, I forgot, but I can't get any amens today. And secondly, we are a discipler. I just made that word up. We are a discipler. That's where we get back to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling, correctly handling the Word of God. And because I am discipling people, whether that's good or whether that's bad, I am discipling people. People are sort of hitching on to what I am and developing into what I am. And I am influencing them and they're becoming either more what they should be or less likely because of my influence on their lives. And so if my finest hour is also to be the darkest hour is to be the finest hour, I've got to really pay attention to how I'm affecting people. Man, church, there has never been a more fertile time to transform the lives of unbelievers than now. We've got to be a great disciple, and we need to be a very adequate discipler, able to tell people, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. Let's get in the Word of God. And they all say, well, I forget about it. Anything truly great is a team effort. I'll move to number three, and then we'll start wrapping it up, if you can believe that. If the darkest hour is to be the finest hour, we've got to be, du be durable. We've got to be durable. We can't be those people who fall apart when the pressure is on. We've got to be durable. We've got to be durable people. There is a truth, and I think if, if, if you're like me and you love history and you love to, to study history and watch history documentaries, I think you cannot disagree, <laughs> disagree with me here credibly. The greatest things in history that took place took place in the most difficult times in history. Almost everyone that I've ever talked to that knows American history will say the, the greatest president in the history of the country was Abraham Lincoln. You know why they say that? Because the country was literally torn apart by the Civil War, and he brought it back together. Had we not had a massive crisis, we'd go, Abraham who? From Illinois? The land of what's that? But the fact that it was a dark day made him a great president. You are going to have your finest hour in these darkened days because you're going to speak life where there is death 
you're going to speak peace where there's turmoil. You're going to step in and you're going to be a light when everything seems to be falling apart. That's what you do as a child of the living God. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, endure hardship. Endure it. Man, I'm so used to interacting with the congregation. I was going to... I wanted to say, do you remember? And you, those of you, you may remember a few weeks ago I was preaching and I said, um, if we're not careful, we will say something that's true, but the implication of it will be deceptive. We will say something that's true, but it will imply a lie. Let me give you an example of that in, in case you don't remember that sermon. And how could that ever happen? You know, uh, I was saying some people when they say, oh, God is faithful. They say it in the context of some somebody was healed of cancer and they say, well, how did that happen? Oh, God is faithful. And we go, well, praise God. But in that implication is that God is not faithful when someone isn't, isn't healed. So we have to understand that God is faithful whether I get healed or not. God is hateful, uh, faithful whether this thing wraps up tomorrow or it's going to go on for a while. God is faithful regardless. So he says, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Isn't he saying, Timothy, things are going to get tough. Like when my voice got high there. Things are going to get tough. I want you to endure hardships. Um, I'll rattle these off quickly here. Six overlooked truths about hardships. Now, what am I talking about? Darkest hour, finest hour. Six overlooked hardships about, overlooked truths about hardships. Number one, the Bible never offers a plan to avoid hardship. Let that sink in for a moment. I never had a discipleship session where the Holy Spirit anointed that session and said, now, here are the keys to not having hardships. The Bible never... And I know you're, you're going to hear when you turn on the TV, you're going to hear people talking about exemptions from hardships. The Bible doesn't give one. Number two, the Bible is full of instructions on how to overcome hardship. The Bible is full of instructions on how to overcome hardships. He didn't say, I'm going to remove it. He said, in all these things, now that's another book, I'm, I'm in Timothy, not Romans. The Bible is full of instructions on how to overcome hardships. Number three, your finest hour will take place in the context of hardship. Your finest hour is going to take place in the context of a hardship. When we talk about your life, we get to celebrate your life. We're going to talk about, man, do you remember when they were going through that and they were so faithful? They just stayed committed to the Lord. You remember all the stuff that came against them? Look at all they overcome. Those are the people we celebrate. Amen. Sorry, I forgot. 
Number four, the title Soldiers Assumes Adversity. As a good soldier, endure hardship. The word soldier implies that there's going to be a conflict and the soldier is going to be on the front line of that conflict and he's going to be or she's going to be marching into the teeth of the opposition and the enemy. You're going to love number five, I think, (laughs) as much as you've loved the others. Um, We cannot seek God's greatness and flee adversity simultaneously. We cannot seek God's greatness in our life and at the same time run from adversity. In fact, many times you will find that as you are running toward God's greatness, God, use me in a great way. Use me in an awesome way. Use my life to make a difference. You're going to find yourself running right smack dab into great adversity and hardships. That would have been a good place for an amen. And number six, we cannot do something great without invoking the wrath of the devil. You cannot be a destroyer of darkness without getting the devil's attention. And if you want the darkest hour to be the finest hour, buckle up. (laughs) Because, friends, if we step up in this dark hour and we start letting the world know, can you imagine even what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning toward our good and we begin to see that reality working out in our lives, can you imagine how furious the devil is going to get? But aren't you glad that God is greater than the enemy? And I've, I've been teaching in Ephesians on, on the coffee talk that, uh, that we've been having lately, and, and I was showing how that there is this invisible reality and then there's the visible reality, and it's the invisible that creates the visible ultimately. And when we begin to win the war in the spiritual realm, it eventually will begin to manifest, manifest itself in the physical realm, and that's what the devil hates. And when you start winning the war where it really counts, ultimately it's going to start showing up in this realm, in the realm of, of space and time. Be durable. Be durable. We are in unprecedented times. But not a single issue, not a single fact, nothing that is going on surprised God. It's kind of amazing that if you're sitting in the presence of the Lord, and I don't know what there is about it. Sometimes I'll sit down at my desk and open up an old Bible that I've carried for almost 40 years, and, and it's something about just sitting there in front of that old Bible. I feel, oh, God, you're here. And, I'm, and as I sit there and I, and I look at the Scripture and I look at notes I've made 20 or 30 years ago in the margins of that Bible, I become aware that God knew at that moment this moment. God knew what was going to happen. And he has prepared and is preparing 
this people. Now, I suspect that some may be going, well, the learning curve is pretty steep because I just sort of woke up the other day and there's a whole lot of spiritual spiritual pressure on me and I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. Well, take a crash course. Take a crash course. If you don't know your Bible very well, you've got some time on your hands. If you've got a smartphone, an iPhone, an Android, whatever you've got, go to Bible Gateway, click on the audio Bible, put an earbud in, start walking around and letting the Word of God catch you up. I'm going to prophesy over you right now. You are going to need the Word of God. You're going to need it. You're going to need to begin to say to people, well, the Bible says this. You're going to need to get beyond yourself and be able to share, this is what the Lord is saying in this situation. Let's pray about this. Father, I thank you. I feel encouraged today. Just reading your word with the church family. Meditating on your word. Knowing that in the last days, some terrible times will come. But we are not like those people who just have a form of godliness. We are people who love you and love your spirit and love your word. And so we... beyond all the things that would otherwise overwhelm us. So Father, I pray for our church family. Make us competent for the challenge around us now. Lord, we've got people we can talk to. We have social media. We have all these ways that we can minister, but Lord, I just feel that Many of us are saying, God, I got caught flat-footed. I don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, I pray in these coming days as they devour the word, you'll open their minds up to retain it and use it correctly. Thank you, Father. And then, Father, I praise you that you're ministering to people we have no idea even where this is all going to. But I'm asking you, Lord, that if there's anyone listening to this message today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, help him, help her understand that when you died on the cross, you died guilty of every sin that they would ever commit, past, present, future. And that if they'll just give up their feeble attempts to save themselves, if they'll quit trying to make up for what they did wrong and just accept that your grace has been offered to them, that they have to give up self-salvation and they have to embrace you dying to save them, that, Lord, they could just right now pray, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And I recognize that when you were on the cross, my sin was with you. 
And when you shed your blood on the cross, it atoned for my sin. So now all I have to do is believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I am being saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made that profession of faith, please let us know. Send us a message or however you can get a message. You're going to need some help getting started. Also, uh, if... Um, as we get moving along, if you're part of this church family, don't forget uh, to worship the Lord through giving. Our expenses continue on, if anything, increasing. So uh, we have a, a link that you can go to. We emailed that to you last night. Uh, you can use the church app anyway, but continue to support the work of God. God bless you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and uh, we'll be updating you throughout the week. So stay on our Facebook page as often as you can. Thank you, and God bless.